A very good morning to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, it's good to see all of you here this morning. And it's so great to see many of our guests and friends that have joined us for this morning. Uh, especially we want to make mention of some of the brethren that are visiting with us. And also some of our friends I'd like to welcome you all. Uh, we have our sister Vivian. Uh, formerly she was from Klang, uh, but she has been worshipping with us for some time. Uh, we also want to welcome uh, Nor Rila, okay, uh, the helper of you and Grace. So glad to have you. And also, of course, Emma Sheen. Jack and Evan are always glad to have you with us. And also, we also have Sister Jessie and uh, Janelle. Okay, they are seated there, they are uh, near Meiji's Row. Uh, they are actually from Jurong Church of Christ. And uh, did I miss out anyone? Okay, I hope I have not. Huh? Uh, so glad to have all of you with us this morning. And also, for those who have joined us uh, online, again, we welcome you and thank you for joining the worship services of Eastside Church of Christ. We hope that you enjoy your visit with us and do let us know if there is any way that we can serve you better. For the month of February and March, uh, we are actually going on a new series, a new theme about Faith Under Fire. I think it is a very relevant theme, especially in the times that we are living in, with our morality at an all-time low, and also with a lot of suffering that people are going through. With the pandemic situation, people have uh, suffered in their health, people have lost their jobs, and also people have uh, strained relationships. So I hope that this series of lessons will help to encourage us and let us know how we ought to respond, even though we Christians face trials in our life. And for this morning's uh, lesson, the topic that has been assigned to me is exaltation under fire. The word exaltation may be some, a word that we are not too familiar with. Uh. We know what is exaltation uh, with an A, uh, okay, which means the state of being raised, elevated to a higher rank or position in life. But the word exaltation, According to dictionary.com, it's defined as lively or triumphant joy as over, as over success or victory. This means that you have overcome problems and then you rejoice over it. So when we talk about exaltation under fire, we are talking about how we have the joy knowing that we can overcome fiery trials that face us in our life. And we see that the book of 1 Peter is a very interesting book and a very good book that we study when we go undergo trials. And we see that Peter was someone who knew how to exalt under trials, under fire, because we see that when he suffered in being threatened, in being beaten by the Sanhedrin council, the Bible tells us of his response, as well as the response of the rest of the apostles. He says that they departed from the presence of the council after being threatened and beaten. You notice a surprising response, uh, instead of being uh, ashamed, instead of trying to hide or trying to keep a low profile, the Bible says that they rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Interesting response, isn't it? When you are beaten, you, you rejoice over the pain and the suffering you go through, yet they rejoice. I think Peter is a very qualified person uh, to write First Peter. We see that just as Solomon's life experiences make him a suitable candidate to write about the purpose of life in Ecclesiastes, Peter's personal triumph over his failures also make him a very qualified candidate to write about dealing with trials in the epistle of First Peter. When you think about the apostles of Jesus, I think the one that comes to your mind when you think about the one making the most mistakes, the one that failed the most, probably is none other than Peter himself. Huh? Remember how he denied our Lord Jesus Christ. He told Jesus that even if everyone is stumbled, I will not stumble. Everyone forsake you, I will not forsake you. But yet, 
A while later, we see that he denied our Lord three times. Despite denying our Lord, subsequently we see that he bounced back from the setback. In fact, he became one who was a defender of Christ. How he boldly defended and preached Christ in front of the Sanhedrin Council, such that they marveled that he and John were with Jesus. Someone who denied Christ to become a defender of Christ. And we also see that someone, he was someone who was rebuked by Paul. Uh. Remember in Galatians chapter 2, how he was rebuked by Paul for his hypocrisy. Because before, before James and the brethren, the Jewish brethren came, he was eating with the Gentiles. But yet, when James and the Jewish brethren came, they feared what the circumcision, the Gentiles, the Jews, would say of him. And so he withdrew from them. And so as a result, Paul rebuked him for his hypocrisy. But yet, we see that he became a respected elder of the church, encouraging other elders. And you also remember how Peter abandoned his faith after Jesus died on the cross. In fact, he told the other disciples, let's go fishing. Let's go back to our old trade. Our master has already died. The hope of the messianic kingdom on earth is already gone. He wanted to go fishing. But in the same incident, our Lord Jesus appeared to him and helped to restore his faith. Three times Jesus asked him, Lovers thou me more than this? Causing him to reflect, to think about, does he love God more or does he love his trade more? In fact, we see that Jesus told him in John 21 verse 19 how he will glorify God with his death. Indeed, for someone who abandoned Christ going back to fishing, he became someone who followed our Lord Jesus Christ all the way to death. And so when we think about Peter, he's actually a very qualified person to tell us about suffering, how to face suffering, and how to respond to suffering in our lives. You know, the problem is uh, that sometimes when we face difficulties and trials, uh, our mentality is that my problem is worse than others. That makes it very difficult for us to stomach the pain and the suffering we go through, isn't it? When we, work with, when we encounter work problems, uh, a lot of times we think that yeah, my work is more difficult than others. Other jobs are simpler. I have so much stress, so much problems. No one suffers more than me. When we go through health issues, again, we think that my suffering is worse than others. It seems that everything bad comes upon me, but others seem to have it easy. And then, when we are faced with a perceived injustice, is it the time, is it the case that sometimes when brethren tell, talk to us, counsel us, encourage us, we think to ourselves, the brethren doesn't really know what I'm going through. Uh. They have not suffered as I did. My problem is bigger than others. No one has it worse than me. In fact, we have the mentality of Elijah. You remember how Elijah, how he felt, even though he had a great triumph over the prophets of Baal. But yet, when he was being persecuted by Jezebel, the evil queen who wanted his life, what did he tell God? He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. Notice well, he says, I, even I only am left, they seek my life to take it away. To Elijah, his suffering was worse than others. But of course, he did not have the knowledge that God subsequently revealed to him in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18, that there were 7,000 others who are suffering just like him, who have not bowed their knees to Baal. So God is essentially telling him that you are not alone in your suffering. Others have it just as bad as you. In fact, the Bible assures us that what we are going through is common to man, common to mankind. The problems we go through is nothing new. Others have gone through it. Others have triumphed over it. 
And the Bible also tells us that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by our brethren in the world. The same afflictions that we go through, again, others have gone through it, others have triumphed over it. And so this gives us great courage and confidence to go on in life, knowing that we too can follow the examples of faith and triumph over our suffering. So in this morning's lesson, I would like for us to consider the advice that Peter gives to the first century Christians on how we can have triumphant joy in the facing trials, how we can exalt under fire. The first thing we want to consider is that of the problem, the problem of trials and suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Peter says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. The problem is that Christians go through various trials. The New King James Version says that they are grieved by various trials. The first century Christians especially, they have gone through trials, and these trials have grieved them. In fact, notice the word, manifold temptations are of various trials. You know when problems come, they don't come one at a time. When it rains, it pours. Problems come all together at once. And for the first century Christians, it's no difference. They go through heaviness. The heart is heavy because of the many trials that they are going through. Consider the problems that they have gone through at that point in time. For instance, we see that at this point in time, Peter was writing to the dispersion, to those who are strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. In 1 Peter 1 verse 1. You might wonder, why are they scattered? Huh? What happened to them? Why were all these people scattered? Well, when we consider what happened in the book of Acts, we see that there was a great persecutor of the church, Saul, who persecuted Christians to the death, dragged them into prison, bring them to death. And so the Bible tells us that the Christians were scattered from the center of persecution. They scattered from Jerusalem. But as they scattered, they went everywhere preaching the word. Something good came out from this persecution because Christians spread and preached the word and churches were being established. So these Christians, they have actually fled from persecution and settled down in the far-off places, in places of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, thinking that maybe life would be better over there. But is that so? Did things become better for them now that they were away from the center of persecution? In fact, we see that they were suffering still. In fact, People who were not Christians spoke evil of them as evildoers. Okay? They were being falsely accused of all kinds of wrongdoings. Even they were away from the center of persecution, they were not let off from the suffering. They were still being tried. Okay? In fact, 1 Peter 2 verse 12, Peter encourages them to have their conduct honest before the Gentiles, so that even though when they speak evil of them, they will still glorify God when the judgment comes. Okay? And why is this judgment? We'll talk about it in our next point. We'll see that the worst is yet to come. You might think it's very difficult. Huh? People speak bad of you. The whole world is against you. But they have not faced their worst trial yet. And so Peter also tells them in 1 Peter 3.16 to have a good conscience, to have a good conduct, so that when people falsely accuse them, okay, they, they may be ashamed of what they accuse you because this accusation is not true. Christians live an upright and life of integrity so that when others accuse us, we know that we can still stand up in the scrutiny of others as well. Too loud, okay. Okay, can. Okay, sorry, let me just... I think uh, a bit feedback that is a bit loud, uh, so I'll stick a bit further away. 
or still concerned whether people can hear me. Okay, sorry. Okay, so we see that they were going through problems. Okay, I hope that it's better. Right? If not, then let me know. Okay, so we see that they were going through problems, trials in the past, being persecuted, scattered abroad. Currently, people were speaking evil of them. But you know what? There's something that's worse even to come. Because Peter warned them that they will be facing fiery trials. And we know from history that this is actually with reference to the persecution of Nero. The book of 1 Peter is written about AD 63. A year later, it's 1864, is when Nero started persecuting the church. And when you consider the historical record of how Nero persecuted Christians, it's a very terrible persecution uh, because Nero wanted to rebuild the city. And what he did was that to do a very cheap and efficient way, he burned the whole city. And then he pinned the blame on the Christians because these people were being spoken evil of, these people were hated by the world for the convenient scapegoat to put for his crimes. And when he burned the city, okay, people be blamed the Christians and to punish the Christians for what he had done, he began what did he do? He burned them alive, a stake to light up his palace garden. Wow, what a terrible sight, but he enjoyed the sight. And for his entertainment, he put Christians to fight gladiator combat, fighting with one another. And even worse, he put them to fight with wild beasts. Can you imagine the Christians at that point in time, you are telling them that now I'm suffering, but it's not yet the worst. Huh? You are going to face the trial by Nero. And then subsequently, you also have to know that Jerusalem will be destroyed in AD 70, a place that they grew to love, where they learn of the gospel, where they have brothers and sisters that they love and they know so dear. The thought knowing that my brethren are suffering over there. And this is the trials that will face them. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 4 verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Peter says it's not strange. Huh? Christians have to be prepared to endure suffering. And what you are going to go through is something that you have to endure, you have to persevere, and Peter will subsequently give them some hope and encouragement to help them to get through this trial. And verse 17, Peter goes on to say, for the time is come, the judgment must begin at the house of God. Okay. Of course, you know, the house of God oftentimes is referring to Jerusalem, okay, where the temple is. Judgment will come upon there. The temple will be destroyed in AD 70. And he says, if we begin first at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? We see that the Jews, a lot of them, suffered ter terribly because of this destruction of Jerusalem. So we see that this was very difficult trial that they go through. If you think that we have it tough in life, consider the first century Christians, scattered by persecution, spoken evil by others, and then suffering physically from the persecution of Nero. You know, even though the first century Christians suffered, this doesn't mean that we will have it easy. Yeah? Likewise, the Bible tells us that we too will suffer persecution. Because John 15 verse 19 tells us that if we were of the world, we behave like the world, the world will love its own. But because we are not of the world, but Jesus says, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. The world will hate us because we testify of the evil and the sin that is in the world. In fact, consider the persecution that people face today. Today we are very blessed huh, and thank, uh, fortunate to be able to stay in Singapore, a place that we do not have to suffer persecution from the government. But this doesn't mean that Christians does not have to face trials, difficulties in life. In fact, some of you may face persecution from your friends. Uh, they will consider you strange by society standards. Okay. In 1 Peter 4 verse 4, Peter says, Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. 
I think some of you who are in the working world, even those in the army like Cornelius, we have faced temptation. Uh. People ask you to go for a drink. I uh, say, sorry, I can't drink, I'm a Christian. Say, you weird guy, uh, you weirdo. Uh. How come Christian cannot drink? My friends are denominated, they, they can drink. What do you mean by Christians cannot drink? Okay. Or they ask you to partake in their vices, go clubs, go smoking. You tell them that you can't do it because you're Christian. They call you derogatory terms. Uh. That's what Peter is saying about speaking evil of you. Okay. Just as they speak evil of those in the first century, Today, Christians, we have to be prepared for people to speak evil of us if we live godly in Christ Jesus. And for some, maybe not just their friends, their families also break ties with them. They become at various, at odds, at loggerheads with their family. Jesus says, I am come to set the man at variance against his father, the daughter against her mother, and her daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Which then Jesus goes on to say that the man's foes shall be they of his own household. And again, we think about sometimes when a person converts from another religion to Christianity, they too may face persecution. Consider, for example, we talk about brethren in the past, the first century, the, the, the earlier generation of Christians, the, the, the pioneer batch of Christians that they go through. I've heard from brethren how when they try to come to church, their parents object to them. For some of our sisters, when they want to come to church, the parents cut up the clothing so that they got no clo- new clothes to wear. My mom, when she became a Christian, she also went through persecution. Uh, my grandmother didn't like her being a Christian. And so when she wanted to come to church in the morning, my grandma would lock up the gate so that she could not leave the house. And sometimes parents, when they, when they want you to partake in their religious rites, again, you can call all sorts of things. Uh, they say you are, di- you are unfilial, you are disrespectful, you don't want to offer joysticks to the ancestors. How can you forget your roots? All these things that come about Christians, especially for those who do not grow up in Christian families. Again, there is suffering, there is persecution that they have to face. And then, there are also some who are hated by all men. As Jesus says in Luke 21, 17, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. You consider certain uh, religion, for example, when you convert from one religion to another, not only do your friends forsake you, not only do your families uh, disown you, but you are being ostracized by your whole community. We know religion can be a sensitive case. And then, in some, some countries and some religions, when they become Christians, you know that the whole tribe, the whole religion, or religious group, the whole community will turn against them and even persecute them. And in some countries, they are even stoned to death. So these are some of the things that very real, very real things that Christians have to face in their life. And so knowing that Christians have to go through suffering, what should be our response? Interestingly, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 verse 6 to greatly rejoice. Greatly rejoice. Why so? Because he tells us that God is glorified. In 1 Peter 4 verse 14, Peter says, If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the glory, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. You see, when Christians go through suffering, and yet we do not retaliate, and yet we go through it bravely, and we still stand up for Christ, in doing so, we actually bring glory to God. Others may speak evil of us, but yet God is glorified. And how can we go through suffering in such times? Peter reminds us that this is only for a season. Okay? As 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 tells us that you regretly rejoice, though now for a season you are grieved, you are grieved through manifold temptations. It's just for a season, a temporary period. And Paul reminds us of this. 
in 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says that our light affliction, but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He says you compare what you go through. What you go through is light, compared to the glory, which is heavier. If you put on the balance, the heavy glory is much more than affliction. And then, he reminds us that affliction is for a moment, uh, temporary. But the glory that we will have is eternal. You consider that sometimes we go through suffering, we go through toil and sweat and tears. Uh, what for? Because we look towards the future. Uh, okay. I was just reading an article uh, about medical doctors in Singapore, uh, about how difficult life is for them, uh, for Joy and Grace have experienced it. Uh. Uh, they say that they go through about six years of medical school, correct me if I'm wrong, uh. And then to reach the level of a consultant, uh, you have to go through at least eight years. Uh. And even then, not guaranteed. Uh. And when you become a consultant to reach that level, you have to go through a lot of tests, a lot of exams, a lot of study. Okay. When I spoke to Grace previously, she was telling me that she had to be a mother, work as a doctor, and also go through exams, take night classes. Uh. You can see a lot of like a lot of toil, a lot of tears as well. Uh. Okay. And you also know that when he was a houseman, uh, 30 hour shift is quite a normal thing for them. Uh. And I heard about how he has to go back home, sleep on the couch, a few hours work for the next shift. It's difficult. But what makes you want to go through that? Because you think about the future. When you reach a higher, higher level, you can serve people. Your life will be much better. You look towards the reward. In the same way, life is difficult on earth. But what keeps us going is that knowing that there is a reward that awaits us. The glory that awaits us is heavier, it's eternal. And that's how we can go through suffering is life. And so having talked about the problem of suffering, now we want to look at the purpose of the trials. You know, sometimes we could do something, uh, we suffer. Uh, it makes it easier for us when we know why we suffer for it. Uh, okay? We don't suffer just for the sake of suffering, but we suffer for a higher purpose, for a nobler call. And so in 1 Peter 1 verse 7, Peter says that the trial of your faith, which is much more precious than of gold that perishes, Though it be tried with fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so the purpose of trials is to test the genuineness of our faith. As the New King James Version says, to test whether our faith is genuine. Well, you see that a lot of us have faith. But it's easier for us to have faith when things are going well. It's easier for us to put on a show, to put on our faith, to be able to speak as a man of faith. But the real test comes to see whether our faith is genuine uh, is when we undergo trials. And that's why Paul tells us that we need to examine and prove our faith. He says, examine yourselves whether you are in the faith, prove your own selves. We have to prove it okay, to see whether the faith is really what we claim to be. There's a saying that says that uh, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Uh. The pudding may look nice, it may smell nice. But what's the ultimate taste? Or what's the ultimate test? It's whether it tastes nice. Uh. If it looks nice, smells nice, but doesn't taste nice, uh, it's still a lousy pudding. Uh. So for us, if we, have, we, can be, we can be a good Christian in good times, we can speak very good lessons, we can uh, proclaim our faith, but yet when suffering comes, when we fall away, okay, that means that our faith is not genuine. It's not something that endures, that lasts for long. And talking about pudding, uh, this reminds me of an uh, incident uh, okay, uh, with my wife. Uh, okay. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, my wife, uh, we like to eat out on special occasions. Uh, and sometimes my wife will tell me that, hey, the food, uh, this one actually, I say it's very nice uh, or very delicious. My wife will say that, oh, I can make it. Uh, actually, it's quite easy to make. Uh, okay. Recently, I actually uh, got, uh, got very interested in eating rosti. Uh, 
uh, Jose, brother Jose was my good brother who introduced it to me. Uh. Uh, I was eating, meeting him for a meal one day. He, he was eating this thing. I said, hey, wow, look very nice, uh, very delicious. Let me try. I said, hey, what, what is this? He told me it's rosti. Uh. Okay. So it happened that my house there, my person there, we have a nice cafe that actually serves rosti. You know, sometimes on special occasions, especially during the COVID period when they have one for one, uh, we say, hey, let's go there and eat. Uh. Okay. And I love the rosti there. I said, wow, this rosti is very nice. Then I look at it and say, hey, actually it's very easy to make. Uh. I also can make it. Uh. So one day she asked me, hey, what do you want to eat? Uh? I said, hey, why not you make rosti? Uh? Since you tell me that rosti is very nice, uh, very easy to make. Uh. Okay. So what happened was that on that day, uh, my wife spent four hours, uh, uh, actually maybe, maybe even longer than that. Okay. And two times she tried, uh, but, but it failed. Uh. Okay, sad to say. Okay, but of course my, mom, my, wife made up for, my wife made up for it by making other nice dishes. Okay. She's actually a good cook. But you know what? The thing is that sometimes things look very easy. Things look very simple. But when we go through that ourselves, uh, it's not so easy. Uh. When you look at the first century Christian, you say, yeah, if I were there, I also will, 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 will admit Christ. I will confess Christ. After all, if I die, I can go back straight to heaven. But what if we are really there uh, and we, our life is at stake? Uh, we are at risk of being tortured. Will we still stay strong in our faith? Okay. We see that Peter, when he was, uh, when he was with Jesus, he told Jesus, I will never deny you. I will be with you all the way. But yet, when he was put in the exact situation where he was under trial, it's not so easy, is it? After all, isn't it? Okay. And so for us, faith needs to be tried to see whether we can walk the talk, whether it's as strong as we claim it to be. And how do we test faith? None other by showing through our works. As James says in James 2 verse 18, a man may say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Okay. Of course, what James is saying is that faith, you don't have works, you cannot show it. You can talk all you want, but if there's no works, there's no proving of it, you cannot demonstrate your faith. So faith must be demonstrated by works. And you know in Christian life, uh, we have to demonstrate our, our faith by our works. Even in this COVID-19 pandemic situation, I think it's actually a test of our faith uh, to see whether we will show forth our works in God. You know, for a period of time when COVID was start, just started, uh, uh, we, our worship was suspended okay, uh, because of the government regulations. And also because of our love for brethren, uh, there's a lot of unknown, especially those who are higher at risk, children, we want to cause them to get infected. So we follow the government's call to suspend worship. And of course, also we want to be a stumbling block uh, to those who are unbelievers who will say that, hey, why you don't follow the government? You are trying to rebel. Okay. So for that period of time, we have to obey them. But subsequently, the government, thanked by God's grace, they lifted out the restrictions. They say you can now worship with the safe distancing measurement. Okay. And at the point in time, the management committee, the main leaders, uh, okay, we came together to have a discussion. Should we resume with our worship? Okay. Of course, there were some concerns about health, about uh, the, the, the problems that we might face. What happens if you have a case and the whole church gets affected? But I'm quite thankful that the men in the congregation had favour. In the end, the MC decided that, okay, we'll just go ahead. We'll do what is allowed, what is the best thing that we can do under these circumstances. And it's quite encouraging that we have brethren that come back for worship. Uh, even our brethren who are elderly, uh, okay, we have our great four great seniors, uh, uh, Uncle Danny, Uncle Peter, Uncle Tian Singh, Auntie Esther, uh, the elderly seniors in this congregation. Okay, they are actually at higher risk, you realise that. Uh, they are in the higher risk bracket. But yet they say that we will come to church. We will still attend service. We have people who have young families, uh, okay, uh, Paul's family, Mark's family, Joel's family, Justin's family, even babies, okay, not vaccinated. Uh, are they at risk? They are also at higher risk, isn't that? But yet, they come for services. 
So the point I'm bringing is that faith must be demonstrated. Previously, we can't worship because of the, of the circumstances. But when we are allowed to do so, all the more we should try to come. Unless we have health conditions, health situations, that we are sick, we can't come. So I'd like to encourage our, our brethren, okay, those of you who are lesser risk, those of you who are vaccinated, who are allowed to come, who are eligible to come, please do come and join us for worship. It's a great encouragement to see one another. Uh, okay. Today we have a good crowd. It's very encouraging to see that, oh, we have a lot of people here in the hall, and we hope to be able to fill the whole church building when everyone comes back. After all, you know, we actually have higher risk when we go out. Okay, but yet we still go out. We go to work. Okay, we have longer hours of contact, lower, prolonged contact, but we still go there. Coming here, only maybe one or two hours. It's a much lesser risk. We go to shopping malls. We meet thousands of people there. Okay, isn't that higher risk than coming to a church building where we have only about 30 to 40 people? So let us keep our faith. Okay? Demonstrate our faith by obeying God as best as we can even in these difficult circumstances. And thirdly, the faith is very important because faith is the what will give us victory in this world. We want to survive in this life. We want to be able to triumph in life. You can't do it without faith. As John says in 1 John 5 verse 4, Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith is the thing that will help us to get through times of difficulty and times of uncertainty, knowing that God is always with us and He will take care of us and provide what is best for us. And that's why God allows us to go through trials so that our faith can be re re uh, refined, our faith can grow. Because if it's never tried, you will never grow. We talk about how Abraham became a father of faith. How? Because of the trials he go through. God asked him to come out to go to the land of Canaan from the land of earth. God asked him to sacrifice his son through all these trials that he went through in life, we see how his faith grew and it blossomed. How Job went through suffering and became a great man of faith. And so when we go through trials, don't get upset, don't get discouraged. Let it be an avenue for us to test our faith and to prove our faith and to help it to grow. And so in the same way, God allows us to go through trials for a purpose, so that we can show the genuineness of faith, show that it will be for our profit as Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 tells us. What can we learn when we go through trials? For one, we can learn to be meek and lowly in heart. We learn humility. Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. A yoke is like a burden. We take Jesus' yoke, we take the burden of Christianity upon us. For Jesus says, For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Do we realize that when we go through difficulties in life, we learn humility, yeah? We learn that not all things are in our control. We learn that we are not as great as we think. We learn that we need to depend on God and we need to cast our faith on God because He is in control of all things. We also learn contentment. Notice Paul says how he learned contentment. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. So it's easy to be content when you have a lot of things going well for you. Uh. Whatever you want, you get. Oh, okay, I'm a very contented man, very happy man. Because I have everything. But when we go through trials and suffering, uh, then we learn what really matters. It's not the, the amount of cars I have, the amount of flats I have, the money of money in the bank. But it's about the relationships, the family I have. It's about the faith that I have. So suffering helps us to have clearer vision to see what is more important in our lives. Okay. And thirdly, 
we see that through suffering, we learn obedience as well. Hebrews 5 verse 8 tells us that though he was a son, talking about Jesus, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Notice how did Jesus become obedient? How did he learn obedience? It's through suffering. Uh. The reason is because it is easy for us to obey uh, when it does not cause us, when it does not hurt us. When things doesn't cause us, it's easy to do. Uh, I do it because no cause of, uh, 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 incurred or for me. Take for instance, for us in Singapore, we are very blessed that there is no persecution here. Uh. It's easy for us to come to worship. But when we consider if there's a cause attached to it, if there's uh, uh, suffering attached to it, will we still be faithful? We have brethren in the Philippines uh, okay, who come to worship and they need to travel four hours uh, to reach worship. And then four hours to go back. But yet, they still attend worship every week. Uh. For us, Singapore is very convenient. Uh, okay. But why today we say that, oh, uh, the churches, uh, not only uh, Jurong is faithful, uh, we have to go to Jurong to worship your favorite congregation. Will we still do it? Uh? Travel one hour by train to reach there, and then one hour to come back. Some of us may think it was very inconvenient, eh? very far. Eh? Wow, it's a lot of time they've taken. But we consider brethren that can spend hours to travel. We consider the Ethiopian eunuch, three months at least, uh, to travel from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem to worship. Another three months to go back. But yet, this man demonstrated obedience. So when he calls us, that's when we learn obedience. Or how about when we have to suffer, uh? If today the government says that oh we will uh, we we outlaw Christianity and then when you come to church to worship there is a risk of you being punished uh, being imprisoned or fined will we still want to come back to worship that's really a test of our faith isn't it and if we can't even do it in peaceful times what more do we have to say when we talk about difficult times when there's times of trials and difficulty and so brethren we need to test our faith we need to show forth our faith even though when we undergo suffering and difficulties and hardship in our life. And so brethren, what should we do then when our faith is being tried? Peter exhorts us in 1 Peter 1 verse 7 to look towards the appearing of Jesus Christ. And we have to consider him, consider his, the things that he went through, consider the reward that he will give us when he comes. And Hebrews 2 verse 3 tells us to consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. The problem with us is that sometimes we are so focused on the world uh, that we begin to be discouraged. We see how well others are doing. People live in sin, they are doing so well. And then we get envious, we get discouraged. But the Hebrew writer reminds us, don't look on the earth, look unto Christ. Look unto the reward. Look unto Jesus who has suffered for us. And that will help us to get through the suffering in this life. And we need to do so. We need to persevere. We need to look towards Jesus because our faith is much more precious than gold that perishes. Okay? Peter tells us that gold is precious, but you'll perish. But our faith is something that will last us through eternity. Okay? As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, that people, when they raise, they do it for a corruptible crown. But we do it for an incorruptible crown. The thing that awaits us will never be destroyed. And this brings me to my last point which we talk about the perspective of faith. We talk about the problem of faith, or problem of trials. Everyone goes through trials. We talk about the, the purpose of trials, which is to refine us in order to strengthen us. And now let's look at the perspective, the promise that we receive. Of course, we're talking about the glory of heaven. In fact, Peter, before he talks about the suffering, he talk, tells them about the inheritance that they will have. 
In 1 Peter 1 verse 4, he says that this inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, and faded thought away. It's reserved in heaven for you. And then, in verse 8, it talks about Christ, whom you have not seen, you love. In whom, though you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And so here Peter tells us about three things you can look forward to. The inheritance of heaven, which will happen at the coming of Jesus Christ, and ultimately, the salvation of our souls, where we will be with God for all eternity. And so what keeps us going in our trial and suffering is this perspective of the eternal reward, the inheritance, the glory of heaven. And verse 4, Peter tells us three things about this reward that we'll have. Firstly, in talking about the glory, he says that it is incorruptible. Okay? Matthew 6.20 says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust nor corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. Where is the safest place to put our treasures? I think about it. Where's the safest place? Okay. Uh, your, our parents, our grandparents' generation may say, put in a biscuit tin. Uh. It's revealed, it's the safest place. But you know what? People find a biscuit tin, they can cope with the biscuit tin. All your savings, time savings gone. For us, maybe you think that, oh, safest place to put money is in the bank. Uh. But the OCBC scam recently shows us it's not secure. Uh. People can scam your money all gone. Okay. Or maybe some people joke, uh, say, the safest place is the CPF. Uh. Even you yourself cannot take the money uh, until you retire. Uh. Okay. But yet, you see that it's not really that safe also. Uh. You have the, the inflationary pressures that come upon you, the currency that rise and fall. Your money can be eroded. Today you save so much money, uh. 10 years later, maybe the money shrinks by 10 times because of inflation. So it's not safe. But ultimately, the safest place is in heaven. No one can touch our treasures there. When we do the good for God, God remembers it, and no one can take it away. So it's incorruptible. You'll always be there. It's also undefiled. Revelation 21 verse 27, John tells us that in heaven there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever maketh abomination or maketh a lie. But there they are written in the book's lamb of life. Heaven is a place that is undefiled. When we reach to heaven, the people that are with us are the best perfect roommates that we will have. Today you talk about people that you live with. When a parent passed away, they fight over inheritance, over assets. But heaven, there's no such fighting. Uh, okay. God says that I have prepared a place for us. We will have this place all to ourselves. No one can take away our inheritance. And thirdly, the Bible tells us that the glory of heaven fades not away. Okay. Notice, Paul comforts the Thessalonians. He tells them that there's a resurrection. Okay, and the dead will be resurrected. And then he says that those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And then, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The inheritance is eternal. He will always be with us. We will always be with the Lord. We talk about heaven. Uh, it's not something that uh, is like on 99 year list or 999 year list. It's eternal. It uh, means that it's always yours. Whatever investment we place on earth, it will depreciate. It can be taken away. But not our inheritance in heaven. And so Peter reminds us that look towards heaven. Because we are looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. As Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10 tells us. And we are also reminded by Paul that our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven. Remember, we are just here on earth temporarily, but one day we will go back to heaven. So having that perspective helps us to be able to go through suffering in life. You think about foreign workers who come to Singapore to make a living. 
The life here is very tough. Uh. They earn peanuts. Uh. Sometimes not enough rest to have day off. Uh. But yet they do so. They work hard. They still persevere. Why? Because they look towards their hometown, okay, which is in their home country. For us, we need to have the same mindset, uh, knowing that we are just think of us as migrant workers on earth to make a living. Ultimately, we are going back to heaven. That's where our hometown is. And so, Peter reminds us that we are just sojourners here on this earth. Well, he says in 1 Peter 1 verse 17, If you call on the Father, who without respect of persons, judges according to every person's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. We are just sojourners here, pilgrims here, just like foreign workers coming to make a living. And foreign workers, do they buy homes, buy property in Singapore, buy cars here? Uh? They don't, uh, because they know that this is not their home, hometown, this is not their place. One day they have to go back. Uh, Foreign workers, when they come, they send money back. They don't put their treasures here and buy things here. In the same way, if you are just here on earth temporarily, uh, shouldn't we be investing back home rather than trying to invest on earth and make our life as comfortable as possible? Because one day, we have to go home. And Peter also tells us that since we are sojourners here, our citizenship is just is in heaven, he says to abstain from restlessly lust, which war against the soul. Again, going back to the illustration about foreign workers, uh, when they are here, uh, they don't get into trouble with the law. Why? Because they don't want to be stuck here, uh, uh, in jail here, and cannot go back home. They want to do what they need to do here to earn a living, to make money, and then go back home. They won't get into trouble with the law because that will defeat them from going back to their home. In the same way, remember our home is in heaven. Do we want to do things that go against God's law, that prevent and hinder us from getting back to heaven? That's why Peter tells us to abstain from fleshly lust. And thirdly, when foreign workers come here to work, what keeps them going is thinking about home. In the same way, let us keep our mind upon our faithful Creator to commit our souls to Him because we know that He will deliver what He has promised us. And so with this thought in our mind, Peter tells us that we need to persevere to the end of our faith so that we can receive the salvation of our souls. In 1 Peter 1 verse 9. And then Jesus says in Matthew 10 verse 22, that he that endures to the end shall be saved. Christianity is not just a sprint. Uh, it's a whole long journey. It's a marathon. We have to reach the end before we receive the reward. And so, brethren, even though we don't see heaven today, a lot of times we are very short-sighted. Uh. We look at the, uh, the, the temporary rewards, the visible rewards. But yet, we know from the Bible that even though heaven cannot be seen, but yet the Bible assures us that the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. There is a better heavenly reward awaiting us, but we have to persevere through the trials and sufferings in this life. And so in this lesson, we have discussed how Christians can have triumphant joy in facing trials, how we can exalt under fire. We spoke about a problem where Christians have to go through grief of trials, we see how the first Christians, first century Christians, suffered. But the suffering is for a purpose, uh, to test the genuineness of our faith, to help us to grow in our faith, to help to refine and to purify our faith. And ultimately, what motivates us as we go through these trials, as we get our faith refined, is the perspective of the glory of heaven. But we can keep that perspective all the time, it makes the suffering on earth much easier. So today, actually, we are living in unprecedented times. Uh. We are hit with a triple whammy of the global pandemic, the economic downturn, and also climate change. Uh. And some people think that, oh, it's the worst period to be a Christian. 
But is that necessary? So, are we living the worst time to be a Christian? Well, I don't really think so. Uh, because we actually today have more resources than ever. Online physical resources to understand the Word of God. Previous generations, they do not have so much resources at their fingertips to understand God's Word. But today we have that. And today we have so much more opportunity to serve God. Technology has allowed us to help to serve in a lot of different ways. We have so much more opportunities and so much more knowledge available. So it's actually not thought the worst time to be a Christian. In fact, we see that Christians throughout the ages have been just as bad as us, if not worse. If you think that first century Christian is easy, uh, you think about the suffering that they go through, facing the lions, facing the burning on the stake, facing the gladiator combat that they have to fight. It's difficult for them in the first to fourth century. Well, of course, you know, eventually, God judged Rome, Rome fell. You might think, is the fifth century much easier then? Is it a better time to be a Christian then? Well, not so. Uh, because in the fifth to the tenth century, it's a period whereby you know that the Dark Ages are, uh, whereby the barbarians came to fight over the Roman land. So again, there was war. It's a difficult time to live as a Christian. After the Dark Ages, maybe time might be better, but yet, we see that 11th to 13th century, there is the Crusades, huh? okay? whereby we see that there were religious wars initiated by the Roman Catholic Church against the Muslims to capture Jerusalem. Again, a lot of fighting, a lot of war. And on both sides, there were people that drafted it unwillingly to fight in this war. Is it a good time to be a Christian? Again, not really, because you have to suffer, you have to fight in wars, you have to go through and experience death and grief. But you might think that, okay, after the wars, maybe things might be better. And today, if you think that the COVID-19 pandemic is bad, uh, consider those living during the period from the 14th to the 17th century, where they have to face the bubonic plague, uh, or otherwise known as the Black Death, which killed upwards of 200 million people in Europe alone. So can you imagine today we talk about one or two million, you see it's very bad. Uh, but 200 million people died in Europe. And this plague lasted throughout centuries. In fact, the, the last of the greatest plague, I was known as the Great Plague of London, where the, again, there was spread by rats, uh, spread by diseases. All these things being passed around, and there was no medical signs uh, to help to arrest the situation. So many people suffered, many people died. Of course, I think that that situation is worse than the pandemic we face today. But we see that even though there were physical sufferings then, but when this physical suffering stopped, that doesn't mean that it becomes easier to become a Christian. Because... From the 17th to the 18th century, life began to be a bit better in terms of physical, physically, but yet there was the rise of humanism with the age of enlightenment. People began to talk about reason, talk about human as the ultimate authority. We want to reason. If it makes sense to me, then I will believe. If not, I won't believe in religion. And so we see that before that, people are generally receptive of the Bible, but after that, they begin to challenge the Bible. And then it will be difficult for them because they do not have the kind of reasoning, the kind of evidences that we have today, uh, a branch of, uh, of, of science of, of Christianity known as Christian apologetics. Those are not so well refined then. It will be a difficult time to be a Christian then. And of course, 19th century, we have the rise of evolution. Charles Darwin, in his book, Origin of Species, talked about evolution. And you see that during that period of time, again, a lot of people bring in science to try to disprove Christianity. Today, a lot of things we know are in science that we can use to defend. Arguments such as cosmological argument, talking about cause and effect. Teleological argument, talking about design, designer, that we can use to disprove and to uh, disprove 
uh, evolution and to prove that the Christian account is true. But at those times, when they are faced with such challenges, it will be difficult for them. And how about 20th century? Okay. 20th century, again, they have a triple whammy. World War I, World War II, Great Depression, and the Spanish flu that spread throughout the world. So when is the best time to be a Christian? Eh? Actually, there is no best time to be a Christian. Eh? Life is always tough. Life is always full of suffering. Of course, today, one of the greatest threats that we are faced with is climate change. Okay. But you know what? Even though life is challenging today, eh, but yet, there are silver lining in the clouds. We struggle with health issues, things like COVID-19 pandemic, but life expectancy is higher than ever before. We struggle with high cost of living with recession, but the standard of living is better than ever. We struggle against climate change, against global warming, but today we have the technology that is more advanced than ever to mitigate these effects. And brethren, more importantly, we have an almighty God who is always with us, who loves us, who takes care of us, so that we can be born and conquerors through the trials we face in life. And so brethren, let us not look at trials as a curse, but as a blessing that we can glorify God. As Peter says in 1 Peter 4 verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this behalf. And to my friends, you may say that this letter is a very gloomy letter now. A lot of suffering that I'm talking about, a lot of pain I'm talking about. Well, indeed, the Bible tells us in Job 14 verse 1, that man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. Life has more downs and ups, if you think about it. A lot of our time is working hard, suffering, grief and sorrow. Of course, there are some good times, but if you look at it as a whole, I think life is more suffering than uh, blessing. But there's a good news. Because the good news is that there is a place that God has prepared for you. You and me, that He wants us to be there. A place where Revelation 21 verse 4 tells us there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and neither any more pain. And so we encourage you to commit your life to this faithful Creator who only wants the best for you. Life is uncertain, life is difficult, life is tough. But we can hang in there knowing that there is a better place that awaits us and knowing that we can commit our lives to our faithful Creator, God will always take care of us. I hope this lesson has given us some encouragement and helped us to understand how we need to respond to trials in our lives. To the friends that have been with us, studying with us for some time, I urge you to consider your salvation and to look towards this heavenly reward that God has prepared for us. If you'd like to know more about the Bible, do let any of us know. I'll be glad to have studies with you to help you know about the God whom we serve. Thank you for your kind attention.